All right, good morning. Happy Canada Day. Thank you so much for coming today. Hope you've all had a great weekend and uh, just are encouraged today to see you in the house of the Lord. And I'm so excited to preach to you this morning. Would you please take your Bibles with me? Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Years ago when I was working on the farm, we would be in tractors all day, every day. It was just constant. And uh, we had really nice tractors that had air conditioning, and we had nice tractors that had a cab and radios and all kinds of awesome stuff. We even had one tractor back in the day that had a CD player, right? Like, I'm old, right? Some of you are like, no, 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 we had cassette players. Now everybody thinks that that's an iPhone holder, right? <laughs> you seen that? Crazy. So we would inevitably listen to the radio for hours upon hours a day. And most of the radio stations uh, I didn't care for, so I listened to a lot of talk radio, right? 16-year-old kid <laughs> listening to talk radio. It was great. But I remember Saturday mornings, there was this one particular show that I actually loved listening to. It was called Ask the Experts. Ask the Experts. And if you don't know what Ask the Experts is, it was a program where people would call in and ask experts about their construction questions. Okay? There were people who were doing home renovations. I got this toilet, and it's got all of these problems, and the expert would tell them what he thought would be best for this person to do. I loved it. I didn't have any home renovations going on at the time, but I just enjoyed listening to how people thought and the different ways that they would take uh, care of the problem. And these, these programs are still out there today. I actually did a quick Google search and asked the experts is still on. Uh, they may have different experts. They may be talking about different things. But it was a fun program to listen to because the experts were actually experts, right? They knew what they were talking about. And the questions that they would get asked sometimes were pretty difficult. And they would say that, oh, this is a tough one. And if, this was to, if, this, if I was in this position, this was what I would do, but it may not be the right solution for you. It just made for an enjoyable morning of listening, of cool ideas, interesting topics. I enjoyed it. But if you look around our community, walk down Talbot Street, you'll see experts all along Talbot Street, right? Different shops, different stores, there's plumbers, there's all kinds of people, right? Experts in their fields. Maybe today you sit here and you think of yourself as an expert, right? You are an expert mechanic, or you are an expert engineer, or you are an expert in this, or expert that, right? A lot of times we think we're experts, mainly because of our job, right? Years and years of doing something will pretty much make you an expert. Some of you may be an expert because of life experience, right? The people with the gray hair or no hair up here, right? Those are the experts in life, life experience, right? And so we have all of these different things, experts. And I think as a general rule, most of us desire to be an expert in one area or another, right? For you, it might be fashion, right? I, I'm an expert, obviously, in fashion, right? My wife dresses me, okay? It is, if I was to dress myself, it would not be appealing at all, all right? Uh, you could be an expert in social media. Uh, you could be an expert in technology. I know some people who are experts in antiques. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Well, really? Why? 
Why would you ever want to do that? Uh, some people be experts in healthcare. Some people can be experts in government policy. Some people could be experts in rearing children. If you haven't had a child yet, you're usually the one who's an expert in rearing children. Quick story, my, we went camping with my family uh, last summer, and uh, I have three children, and my sister has two children. They're all the same age, so under 10. Right? And we've got all these kids running around. And my brother, who is married but has no children, says, when I have children, you know that's a bad statement. I'm like, buddy, you have no idea. Right? Experts in rearing children. Uh, we have experts in cooking. Right? Experts in relationships. Let me tell you how to fix your relationship. We have experts in the Bible, experts in church culture, experts in God Himself. We have all these different things that people try to be experts in. But most of us have a desire to be an expert in at least one area. But there is nothing more aggravating than a self ordained expert. Am I alone in this? Nothing more aggravating than a self-promoted or self-ordained expert. Hey, everybody, I know everything about this subject. You should come talk to me. Why didn't you talk to me about that? I could have helped you. You need to call me first. Don't call anybody else. Call me first. I am the expert. Ugh, that's disgusting. I hate that. They're arrogant. They're self-centered. They are definitely never wrong, ever. And for them, for these type of people, it's all about personal gain. It's all about personal gain. It's all about personal status. It's all about personal prominence. I want to be the best in my field. And if you don't help me be that, then I'm going to be angry at you. Our story today points to this exact problem. And Jesus takes care of the thought process rather quickly. Notice Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. The Bible says this. Then came to him the mother, notice that, the mother, the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. The name of Zebedee's two sons is James and John. They're also called the sons of thunder. Okay, So this mother comes with her two sons, notice, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said unto her, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. James and John's mom requests something of Jesus. That her two baby boys would be able to sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left, when Jesus comes into his kingdom. Now quite Literally, this is frustrating to me. First of all, mommy has to ask for you, right? Like, I don't know if this is a cultural thing. It probably is where an older adult probably asks a question, but this just drives me nuts. If you want to ask me a question, come ask me, right? We do this with kids all the time. Go ask. Go ask. Go ask. I don't want to ask for you, but here, two grown men, grown men, they were fishermen, they were rough, they were tough, and mummy has to ask the question for them. Drives me nuts. Okay? But not only that, notice what they ask. They ask, can we have the seats at your right hand and 
on your left. Don't dismiss the fact that mummy's asking the question. Look at what their desire is. Look at what they want. This is what they're asking. Look at verse 17 of chapter 20. Because they kind of miss the point here. The Bible says this in chapter verse 17, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Say, Pastor Owens, why did you read that? Because Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. This is the whole point. This is why they're asking the question. Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, the capital city, the place where Jesus would set up his earthly reigning kingdom. And quite literally, they missed everything else. Notice verse 18, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. That's all they heard. Now remember, you got to remember Jewish people, they think that there's a Messiah coming, coming to deliver them from the Roman Empire, and they are going to be freed from the Roman Empire, and so this man is going to come and set up his earthly kingdom, and we're all going to be free from it. And these are Jewish men, and they hear, he's going to Jerusalem, we're going to be able to get up, he's going to reign, he's going to come, we're going to be free from the Roman Empire. But they miss the rest. Look at And the Son of Man, being Jesus, shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. They missed everything else. What king goes into a city and is betrayed and mocked and scourged and put to death and rise again? They missed it all. The only thing James and John and their mother were worried about was that they get their application in for the two highest seats in the kingdom. After all, they knew Jesus the best. I mean, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. I, I mean, James we, 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 is, is a part of the inner circle. It's Peter, James, and John. So the, they knew Jesus the best. They had spent all this time with him. And so they deserved, they wanted to get their application in before Peter, which quite frankly is surprising. Peter's normally the first to open his mouth. Surely they deserve to be highest in rank over all the others. Can you imagine the audacity? Can you imagine the arrogance to ask to be in the two most prominent seats in the kingdom? Can you imagine? Hey, I'm, I'm really valuable. You need to come and you need to take me and you need to set me right next to you. The arrogance. Now let me ask you. If somebody came to ask you this question, how would you answer it? How would you answer the question? I can tell you how I would answer it. I would answer it in a harsh, angry tone and belittle them and put them in their place. You are a bunch of losers. You have no idea who you are, right? But this is not the way Jesus answers their question. Notice verse 22 with me. The Bible says this, but Jesus answered and said, in, in almost a seemingly calm statement, he says, you know not what she asked. You don't even know what you're asking. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? 
They say unto him, we are able. So Jesus just simply calmly asks, you don't really know, or says, you don't really know what you're asking. Have you ever prayed and asked Jesus for something that we don't really know what we're asking? I think a lot of us would pray things like this, maybe not all the time, but some of us have prayed things that we just, quite frankly, don't know what we're asking. Teenagers, God, help me to be popular. We don't know what we're asking. God, help me to be liked by my peers. God, help me to be successful. God, help me to lack nothing. God, give, provide for me everything that I want. God, help me to be the best version of me that I can be. I remember praying many times, God, help me to be the man that you want me to be. Right? And we, I prayed that with a right heart and a real heart. And I remember saying, God, this is what I know that you want for me. So help me to be that. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I had no idea what I was praying. I had no idea what I was praying. Because here's the problem. We know what we're asking. We, Peter, or excuse me, James and John knew exactly what they were asking. They knew that they wanted to be sitting on the right hand and on the left hand of Jesus. They, they knew that. We know what we want, but the problem is we don't know what it's going to take to receive that. Let me say that again. We know what we want, but we don't know what it's going to take in order to receive that. When I pray, God, help me to be the man that you want me to be, I have a fantasy dream of what that is. I have an idea that God is going to make me prosperous and make me successful and do all these things. I don't have anything else in mind. I have rose-colored glasses on. And so we think and we hope that everything will work out for us. We hope and we pray to be successful and we want everything to just work out just so we've kind of got it all laid out. we got our plans all laid out. But I want you to notice again the two questions that Jesus asks James and John. Look at verse 22 again. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So most of us look at this and go, What? Why is he asking, are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink of? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? This is in direct reference to verse 18 and 19. They missed it. They completely missed it. Notice verse 18 and 19 again. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. You see, Jesus was getting ready to drink a cup. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, if this cup should pass for me, let it pass. I don't want to drink it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, Jesus was getting ready to drink a cup. Jesus' baptism was a baptism of death. Romans chapter 6. You see, we think about all of these wonderful things that Jesus did and all of these wonderful things that they would go through in their retort. Look at in verse 22. They say unto him, we are able. Yeah, no problem. Piece of cake. Again, a misunderstanding. James and John, again, are going, looking at these things through rose-colored glasses. 
thinking perhaps, man, we've been with Jesus for quite some time now. It's been awesome. It's been an amazing time. We've seen a ton of things happen. I mean, people are being healed miraculously. We saw 5,000 people be fed from five loaves and two fishes. I mean, we saw some amazing things. And what could possibly go wrong? This is going to be so sweet. And me and my brother, we're going to sit here on either side of Jesus Christ. Man, they've got some wonderful ideals of life going to be incredible. But what they didn't realize was Jesus was calling them to a life of service. Jesus was not calling them to a life of prominence. Jesus was calling them to a life of service. Jesus was calling them to a life of suffering. Jesus was calling them to a life of death. Life of death? You, you might say, this doesn't make any sense to me. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a wonderful German author, said this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Pretty exciting, isn't it? Who wants to sign up to follow Christ now? Anybody? Suffering, death, I mean, this is going to be great. No. You see, we look at following Jesus, or we look at our lives, and we see all the wonderful things, the amazing things that go on, and we, we look at through, through life with rose-colored glasses, and we, oh, God's going to bless me here, and God's going to bless me there, and God's going to give me all the things that I want and could ever need, and God's going to do this, and God's going to do that, and I don't want to belittle God here today, but our expectations are simply rose-colored. We think they're so wonderful and so gracious. Let's continue the story and see if we can just draw some application from this passage. Look at verse 23. So they answer, we are able, in verse 22, verse 23, and he saith unto them, ye shall, ye shall, you will drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Notice this. But to sit on my right hand, and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Notice verse 24. But Jesus, excuse me, verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. They were ticked off. How dare you ask for that? And they began to be angry about them. They're, they're angry. How dare you ask such a question? But Jesus, again, takes all of these circumstances and brings them in for a teaching moment. He's getting ready to teach his disciples something, and there's something we can learn here. Look at verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him. Come on, guys. Let's talk about this. And said... Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom 
for many. We started this message talking about experts and how there is a desire in all of us to be an expert at something, something in our lives. Have you ever wondered to yourself, why do I want this? Why do I want to be an expert in this area? Why do I want to try so hard in this area? We're in the habit of writing things down. I'm going to ask you to write this down. We, de- we desire to be an expert so that we can have some sort of authority. We desire to be an expert so that we can have some sort of authority. We even say that people who are experts on the subject, they are what? They're an authority on the subject. We say that all the time. That's a common phrase. Have you ever said this when maybe your children asked you why? Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you were the one asking this. Why? Because I said so. How many of you enjoyed that as kids when your parents said that? Anybody? Oh, give me any other answer. Don't tell me that. And you know, the reality is this, like parents have authority, but we want to have authority. Just do it because I said so. There's no other reason, just because I said so. It's authority. Now let me ask you a question. When you say because I said so, how long does that reason last? Some of you that are maybe a little bit older and have grown children, how long does because I said so last? 16? Not happening, right? 14, 12, I mean, 12, I don't know. The reality is because I said so doesn't last very long. They need a reason. They need to understand. They need to go through this and picture and understand why. With all men, there is some semblance, or there is a desire for some semblance of power. We all desire some semblance of power over other people. Again, to what extent? You just have to be honest with yourself. We all desire it. We all want it. We all try to get some power over somebody. Whether that's power of knowledge. I know more than you. Or power of position. I'm in this position and you're not. You better respect my position, right? So whether it's in position or knowledge, we all want, and this is exactly what Jesus is pointing out to the disciples. He says this in verse, um, let's go verse 25. Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority. Listen, the sinners, the dogs, the, the, the heathen, the princes, the ones who are in position, the great ones, the ones who have knowledge, what do they do? They exercise dominion. They exercise authority. I have the authority. I am in this position. I know this much, and you have to listen to me. They dominate them. I am over you. I am better than you. But notice the words, the exact phrase used in verse 26 at the beginning here. It says, but it shall not be so among you. Guys, that ought never to be so. You get the context of the story. I know this has kind of been a long way through, but you get in the context of the story. We want to be great. We want to be the greatest. We're right next to Jesus, and Jesus ever does die, I mean, I'll be the next one. The person on the right hand, he's the next in authority, right? 
And we want to be great and we want to be wonderful and we're the experts and we know Jesus more and we have all these different things and the pride level is beginning to rise and I want to exercise authority over the rest. But Jesus says this ought not to be so among you. The way the Gentiles do it is for authority. Let me say that again. The way the Gentiles, the heathen do it is for authority. But listen, the way the followers of Jesus do it is to serve. You see, the only reason we should ever be an expert or in a position or have knowledge is if it's used to serve. We all know people, experts in the field that don't want to serve, right? They just want to flaunt their power. They just want to flaunt who they are and, and their position and their authority. But this is all for service. We desperately want to have some sort of authority, but why? Why do we want it? We desire authority because we forget the one who is in authority. We desire authority as parents, right? You do it just because I said so. But listen, that doesn't last very long. The reality is I'm not the authority. Who's the authority? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Who's the real authority? The Lord is. The reality is my children are not my children. So what's my job? My job is to serve my children, to show them which way to go. And when they are raised in that way, they will not depart from it. Listen, I'm not trying to pop myself up. I'm the, probably the worst parent here. What I'm trying to say is my goal ought not to be, I'm the parent, you do what I say. But hey, let me show you who the Lord is. Let me show you who God is. I want to serve my children so that they will know. The reality is we have too many people looking at us. Oh, you want an authority on that subject? Go see this person. We want people to notice us. We want people to look at us and say, wow, look at them. They are awesome. The reality is everything ought to be going to the Lord. Notice this. Jesus knew who his authority was. You say Jesus didn't have an authority. Look what the Bible says. Look at verse 23. He saith unto them, ye shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptized that I am baptized with. Watch. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. Notice. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. See, even Jesus himself said, listen, it's not mine to give. That's, that's the Father's job. It's, it's prepared. The Father is preparing that. And so the reality is even Jesus knew. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Realizing that God is in authority over all releases you to serve. Let me say that again. Realizing that God is in authority over all releases you to serve. Why? Why? Because then I don't have to force, I don't have to manipulate, I don't have to connive, I don't have to scheme, I don't have to scream, I don't have to yell, I don't have to get upset, angry, all the things that I struggle with. Because why? Because it's not mine to give. It's not mine, it's, it's not my way that I'm trying to get. It's God's way. 
you know what? If you're struggling with an area of your life and you've got somebody that's fighting you and, and, and being all over you and doing, uh, just frustrating you, listen, give it to the Lord. We get, we get frustrated because we want to we wanna end up on top, right? We want to end up winning the argument. We want to end up doing uh, the best in our field. And we fight and we scheme and we connive and we're deceitful and we're just like Jacob trying to get on top when God already promised him that he would be on top. So here's the reality of our lives. We can be released to serve when we realize that God is in authority over all. I'm not trying to fulfill my own will. I'm trying to do the will of my Father. You see, if God blesses you in some way, shape, or form, let me encourage you today. Use it to serve someone. If God blesses you with the gift of excellent parenthood, you're an excellent parent. Hey, use that to serve. Don't use it to demand and say, you better do it this way. Use it to serve, not to belittle. If God has blessed you with the gift of technology, use it to serve. Right? I'm looking at a lot of people that I'm sure you struggle with technology. Right? There, there's a great need for people to be helped with technology. If you are gifted with the ability to know and understand the Word of God, use it to serve, not to lord over. If God has gifted you with anything, anything at all, please use it to serve. Not for your own personal gain, not so everybody will look at you and say, wow, James and John, right hand and left hand of Jesus Christ, whoa, such amazing people. Now we know at the end of James and John's life, guess what they did? They used their position. They used their close-knit relationship with Jesus. What did they use it for? They used it to serve. And guess what? They did drink of the cup. And they were baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. They were both martyred. John was put on the Isle of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. See, the reality is what God gives us ought to be used to serve. Look at verse 28. Jesus as our example. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. See, Jesus our example. Jesus the Almighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. He came to this earth. Made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant you see jesus is our example he's the supreme ultimate authority yet he came as a minister came to give his life and serve again in god's economy write this down service makes you great service makes you great that is not the earthly worldly economy it's just not. We all think that in order to be great, we've got to step on everybody else and we've got to promote ourselves and look good. Listen, in God's economy, service makes you great. Let me just encourage you this morning. Use your gifts. Use your talents. Use your abilities. Use what God has blessed you with to serve someone else. 
to put it in this year's theme, use your gift to reach out. Who are you going to reach out to this week? To serve. With the ability that you have, and every one of us has one, how are you going to serve this week? How are you going to help? How are you going to encourage? How are you going to promote, not yourself, but Jesus Christ through the way that you serve? Who are you going to serve this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Father, it is our great privilege to serve you. When we realize who you are and what you've done for us, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, because this is your reasonable service. Father, help us to give our lives to you. Help us to quit trying to scheme and connive and try to gain more power and more position and more authority, more knowledge. Help us to do all of those things to gain knowledge so that it can be used for you. Help us to have prosperity so that it can be used for you. Father, and if we can't use it for you, I pray you'd never give it to us. I pray you'd never give it to us. Father, would you please help us to give our lives in surrender to you. We'll pray and ask you all these things in your name.